know what it is it's your boy big zua zucha hendrix zubeard the goat oh yeah that's right i just call myself the goat and you know why because we about to make some shmoney this weekend and you know it's your boy ed r zooming right here on gridiron you as we get ready for a week nine that may uh may produce a couple of upsets may produce a couple of Results we didn't expect to happen, and maybe uh, maybe we get a little different perspective on the college football playoff after week nine coming up here. But anyway, anyway, I do need to apologize for not being around on the Money Shmoney Monday uh, this week. I uh, had a little bit of difficulty with my voice, had some, um, was feeling pretty sick, and I decided, you know what? We'll just make it up on Thursday with a fire episode. And, of course, we're going to do that by coming straight out the gate. Coming out hot. I got my Heisman rankings for this week. And the first number one on this list is LSU's own Joey B. Joe Burrow. Honestly, I think at this point in the season, he has uh, earned this. I think what he brings to that team in terms of being like an MVP candidate as well as his numbers put him in a category right now that is just slightly above Jalen Hurt. And um, with Tua having this ankle injury that we'll get to in a little bit, I think now Burrow's going to have an opportunity to pull away and possibly become uh, the front runner going into the last quarter of this or the last third of the season here. And uh, number two, I think I gave that away. Jalen Hurts is my number two right now. He uh, didn't have the greatest game against Texas, but you know what? He got the job done, rushed for close to 200 yards, you know, threw his touchdown passes, got all his touchdowns. So he had a good game for him. Oklahoma wins. They're still undefeated, still in the title mix. I mean, but this game definitely showed you that Jalen is – Maybe not Kyler or Baker, but he's going to be at the Heisman Trophy uh, ceremony at the end of the year in New York. I do think he is susceptible to be caught by some of the guys not currently in the top three. And uh, number three is Tua, Tonga Valoa. So I think he's going to continue to drop over the next couple weeks here, especially if he doesn't play against LSU, which I'm not sure if that's a possibility yet. We're not even close to that, but like I said, we'll get to the Tua information in a little bit here. Number four, this guy's moving up, and he's going to have the biggest opportunity of his season this upcoming weekend when Ohio State takes on Wisconsin, and that is Justin Fields. And yes, he has passed Jonathan Taylor who is still at number five. He's still in the top five right now. But Ohio State is in a league of their own in the Big Ten, in my opinion, right now. Up until somebody beats them or proves they can even stick in a game with them because they haven't even been tested this season so far. 
So that's pretty uh, It's pretty telling of the type of team they have over there in Columbus. And honestly, Justin Fields has been incredible along the way, even though his numbers might not reflect that due to how much Ohio State is blowing other teams out. So he is kind of suffering from that Tua, Tua problem where you know your team is so good that you don't have to play for the majority of the ending of the game, which takes away from some of your stat padding moments that Jalen Hurts gets and... I mean, Joe Burrow throws for like 370 yards in the first half of every game because LSU's up 60 to 10, you know, by the second quarter every single week. But with these teams, we have to see. And now I'm, ta- I'm talking about both Wisconsin and Ohio State playing each other this week. You have the two Heisman candidates going up against each other. I think whoever wins this game propels themselves into that top three of the Heisman going into next week. And I do see Justin Fields having a good game against this incredible Wisconsin defense. But at the end of the day, if Wisconsin is able to get some timely turnovers on him or even limit his passing ability in this game, that's going to be a big-time opportunity for Jonathan Taylor to, if he's able to go off a little bit, take this game over for Wisconsin and maybe keep them in the lead, give them a win. But that's not... Not likely. Um, it's going to be very tough for Wisconsin to win this game, especially after that pathetic performance they put out against Illinois last week. I'm a little bit disgusted by that, but I can understand from a perspective that they were looking forward a little bit, kind of looking to this Ohio State game, which is no excuse. Uh, you know, excuses are the bricks to the house of failure. So we do not make excuses on this show. But at the end of the day, you know, Wisconsin had an opportunity to come into this game and make it maybe the game of the year, one of the games of the year, and it still is going to be a very, very good game, and I think Wisconsin comes out a lot stronger now because of what happened last week. But for these two guys, they need to go off for their teams to win in this one because this is, this is like I said, a superstar game, and both of these guys will have the opportunity for Heisman moments. Anyway, I'm going on to the CFP plus two now, so we really are coming out hot on the show today. Number one, we have the Ohio State Buckeyes taking on number four, the Oklahoma Sooners. And this matchup right now, I feel like Oklahoma is the front runner in the Big 12. And they do have a difficult road game at Baylor. And they have another game at Oklahoma State, which is a rivalry game that can always go awry for that team. However, I think they should be able to get at minimum to the Big 12 championship game, where, I mean, right now it could be anybody in the Big 12 that they play. Uh, I think Iowa State is a team that definitely could get in there. You can look at a team like Baylor. Baylor is undefeated still, so they are definitely in the driver's seat for the Big 12 championship game as of right now. But I just think Oklahoma overall has a very easy schedule. They are a good team, but their schedule is very favorable for who they are, so I think they're able to go undefeated get that four spot number two we got the Alabama Crimson Tide who they're gonna be without Tua for a little bit here probably not too long but at least a a little bit I think they're able to overcome that and I think they're able to win the SEC at the end of the day and take care of business and get themselves into the top four as an undefeated SEC champion and number three is the fourth undefeated team I'm gonna name here and that is the Clemson Tigers 
like I said in the past, like I will continue to say, if they do lose a game, which I cannot see happening at all, they're like 90% favored to win every single game the rest of the season, including a hypothetical ACC championship game against anybody in the league. But if they were to lose one of those games, they're out. I don't think they do. I think they go 13-0 undefeated, win the championship. Undefeated ACC champion gets in there, along with the undefeated Big 12 and Big 10 and SEC champions. Number five, we got LSU just barely looking in. And like I said, if one of those teams, Clemson or Oklahoma, lose, I think LSU sneaks their way in there over one of them. And finally, number six, I have the Oregon Ducks, who I put in here last week. Just kind of starting to believe that, okay, the Pac-12 is shaping up pretty favorably for Oregon. There's some solid teams. Nobody too scary for that team. Their defense is really coming alive. And they do have Justin Herbert at the end of the day. Even if they're losing some offensive weapons for him, I think he's still a good enough quarterback where that team should, you know, be in the mix offensively no matter what happens. Um, And that was a great win that they had on Saturday against Washington. I think that definitely proved a lot of people that Oregon is uh, is 100% in this race. So if they're able to continue winning and get themselves into the Pac-12 championship game as a one-loss team and take on a one-loss Utah, I think they could definitely be right there in the conversation with LSU for that last spot in the college football playoff if it came to that. All right. Now, now that we're done with the Heisman and the college football plus two, uh, we're going to get on to the news here because you know what it is. We missed a lot of stuff this week, and I really got to cover a lot of things here. I got a, a couple things I want to talk about. Number one, I mean, it's the headline, right? Tua Tungvaloa getting surgery on a high ankle sprain, which is something I've never heard of. Have you ever heard of a guy having surgery on an ankle sprain? I mean... I might just be bugging here, but that sounds ridiculous. I mean, maybe it's some maybe it's some new type of technology that they have. Maybe it's some type of uh, new idea doctors are coming up with that maybe speeds up the process a little bit. He's going to be off his feet or non-weight-bearing on that foot for the next 10 days at a minimum, which might be you know down to about 8. Eight, seven or eight days at this point, but still, that's a long time for him to not be weight-bearing. That's the entire bye week that's coming up next week, um, so you figure going into the LSU week, that's going to be his first week really rehabbing and being able to do anything, so that's that's going to be difficult for him from a perspective of just being confident that that ankle is going to be good to play on that Saturday. Now, I'm not saying he won't play that Saturday, but I mean, come on, the guy's got, the guy just had quote-unquote surgery. I mean, we don't know how intrusive the surgery was, but still, at the end of the day, that's, it's an ankle getting worked on. That could be, that could be very difficult to come back from in such a short period of time. So we got to really monitor this Tua situation. You know, Nick Saban said we're going to monitor it as soon as he is weight-bearing and able to do physical rehab we're going to start to make judgments on him then. So nobody should get their hopes up that he will be ready to play uh, against LSU in two weeks. I mean, this game this weekend at home against Arkansas, that shouldn't be a big deal. And honestly, being at home against LSU, 
they should still be able to be at a minimum, at a minimum, competitive in that game, if not right, you know, winning it. But still losing to a man, that's going to be, that could be difficult. That could be a very difficult uh, hurdle to overcome. So we're going to keep monitoring that as more information comes out. I'm going to let you guys know, but right now I, I don't think it's very likely that Tua will be suiting up against LSU. Um, but it can happen. Like I said, I'm not a doctor. I'm no expert. I mean, y'all should know that by now. <laughs> but, uh, you know, at the end of the day, the kid's health should be uh, way more of a concern over the, uh, you know, getting out there as soon as possible. Even if he wants to get out there, I mean, the kid's a possible number two pick, number one pick in the draft this year. If you're Coach Saban, even if you're Tua yourself, you know, you got to save yourself from you sometimes. So we hope we hope he gets better, feels better soon, and can be out there for LSU because that's the game we all want to see. We want to see Tua versus Joe. And that's what that's what it is right now. That's what we're marking it to be. I hope it stays that way. I honestly do. But uh, on to the topic of LSU. LSU just landed a big-time commit for next season, a tight end, number 12 in the class, Eric Gilbert. Eric Gilbert, that is. I don't want anybody to misunderstand what I said. But he's a, I believe he's the number two tight end, but he's a number 12 prospect in the entire ESPN rankings for next year's class. He is from Marietta, Georgia, which is a suburb of Atlanta. Um, you know, obviously, people in the area thought that it was a done deal. It was between Alabama and Georgia, and that's kind of how his recruiting battle was going for a little while here. But uh, after he committed, he came out and he said, you know what, through the whole process, yeah, everybody was thinking it was Alabama and Georgia, and I kind of did as well. But in the back of my head, I always had this thought, why not go to LSU? He really liked Joe Brady. He really liked um, Ed Ogeron. He thought both of them were incredible coaches to be around. And he had a lot of praise for Brady, man. Let me tell you, this guy, this guy Joe Brady – is, is becoming a superstar in college football and football due to what he's doing with Joe Burrow and what he's doing with that LSU offense. And the fact that guys want to go to LSU because of how um, prolific the offense is, is, that's pretty crazy because through my entire life, LSU has not been a prolific offense at all. They have been at sometimes hard to watch and anemic on that side of the ball, but Damn, man. Congrats to them, though. That's a big pickup. Eric Gilbert, Marietta, Georgia, going to LSU. LSU does have a little bit of bad news coming in, and um, not sure where this will leave them at this point in time because there's not much more information in terms of NCAA investigations or any of that kind of garbage, but a former supporter of the program, a booster, uh, let me get his name here. John Paul Foons. Foons. He embezzled $500,000 plus uh, from a hospital charity. <laughs> a hospital charity. This guy stole money from a hospital charity. That's pretty pathetic. But uh, back on to the story. He uh, embezzled that money and he used some of it for his own personal gain. And he used some of it to pay former players 
at LSU, uh, their family members, quote-unquote. But still, at the end of the day, he uh, spent that money on some of these recruits, some of these young guys to either stick around or to come there, or after they left, some of them in some situations. Uh, but the money's embezzled, and it's being... That's a completely different story that we're talking about here. You know, this isn't like some guy gave uh, his own money to a kid to come and play at LSU. This is a guy stole money from a charitable organization. Like, you're bringing a federal government into this. Now this is a felony. This guy's going to jail for over 20 years, which damn right he should be because that's a sad sack of crap, if you know what I mean. Um, But you know what? LSU, I hope they don't get too much for this because it sounded like most of the transactions were between family members and most of them went down towards the end of players' careers at the university, not while they were being recruited or while they were, you know, playing there, anything like that. It sounded more like it was after they were leaving or even after they left. So we'll see what happens with that. We'll keep an eye on that one as well. You should. There's a bunch of articles online you could check out about it. Uh, I'm not going to single it down to one because I think on a subject like this, you should probably get multiple perspectives and multiple different stories where you can get as much information as possible and make you know, decisions for yourself on what you think is happening and what you think uh, did happen. But on to the next story. We are staying in the SEC for another recruiting violation and this is with the South Carolina Gamecocks and now they are on a one-year football probation uh due to former assistant coach going out and recruiting player quote-unquote recruiting players uh not in the best of ways so he got hit with um impermissible off-campus contact with recruits and over texting a recruit um, which I've never heard of over-texting a recruit. That sounds a little ridiculous to me. Uh, it sounds like a made-up little NCAA law that they stuck in there. But impermissible contact, I don't even know what the hell that is either. So this sounds like some just random-ass violation that they're throwing on uh, South Carolina at this point in time. I really have nothing to say about this except the NCAA should really, really be worried about more things than this right now. I mean, the federal government is cracking down on your organization, trying to make it where you are going to start paying these players in some certain way. You know, whether it be that they can go out and make money on their likeliness or that you bring in money and give it to them. However it is, you need to figure that out. And you're instead worried about a former coach at South Carolina over texting a recruit. Like, are we are we serious here? Let the guy do what he wants, man. At the end of the day, he's he's in a recruiting battle. You know, there's so many ridiculous recruiting laws that we have in uh, in college football, and we still have so much issues in the recruiting scheme itself. So I don't know what the hell these laws are there for, if it's just for the NCAA to feel good about themselves, for them to be like, oh, yeah, we're, tr- we're trying. You know, look at what we got. We got all these we got all these random laws that nobody understands. Like, come on now. Like, this is where you lose me because I really don't understand why somebody shouldn't be able to text a recruit, shouldn't be able to help a recruit out, you know, in terms of, like, 
okay, this is what our school is, this is what we have, this is what we plan, you know, going and visiting them. I don't understand why these are all bad things, but apparently they are, and uh, this is what the NCAA is putting all their eggs into this basket to uh, continue to quote-unquote crack down on these universities for their recruiting violations when they should definitely start to be worrying or at least looking into what they're going to do when these new laws come out. Because, you know what? Unless they want to be completely uh, destroyed, unless they want to be no longer an organization that deals with college athletics, because that could happen, I mean... If enough big schools get together and put together a new athletic organization, people are going to watch that. They ain't going to care about whatever the NCAA is putting out there. But, again, these are all things that are way, way beyond me, and they're way further than where we're at in the process right now. So we'll just put those on the back burner. But, again, I do have to call the NCAA out for being – Really pathetic in this situation and just looking like a joke of an organization. Uh, But we'll leave that because we have a more serious story to look at here. And I mean, these stories just aren't great this week. Uh, But we're going to get through them. Uh, Marshall Safety, Brendan Drayton. He was charged with a felony strangling and battery of a woman. Um, I don't even know what to say in that situation. Uh, this, it's despicable, not a, not a good move from a guy who is at a university representing the university is a representative of that community. I I would assume, you know, being playing in a place like Huntington, West Virginia, that's, uh, you know, a little, not a small town, but it's not like, you know, it's a place where they pride themselves on Marshall, and having something like this happen is a bad look for the team, bad look for the university, just not a good, uh, not good at all. So, hopefully, uh, the courts down there do their diligence and take care of this, and I hope that the female involved in this is alright, um, I hope. You know, she is able to uh, recover if she has any injuries. And I hope justice is brought in this situation because, you know what, you got to be an adult. And to a certain degree, and to every single point, you need to hold yourself to a very high, not even a high standard. This isn't a high standard. This is just being a regular human being. You don't need to assault somebody on the street. You don't need to strangle somebody on the street. It's just pathetic it's a bad example and i can't condemn it enough so i'm just going to go on to the next story which is another thing i can't uh i can't support at all and that's uh cornerback from clemson andrew booth jr if you watched the game against louisville over the weekend he had a guy pinned on the ground and threw a punch at him now obviously there was a helmet in the way or a face mask in the way but Still, you threw the punch, like, you had the guy pinned down to the ground, so what do you think, you're going to just start wailing on this dude? Like, come on, man. You're on the football field. It's one thing if you just, like, throw a haymaker out of nowhere and, you know, that's it. 
when you got a guy pinned on the ground and you're, th- and you're throwing punches at him, like, what are you? You think you're on the schoolyard, bro? The guy's got a helmet on. Like, he's dumb as a rock. I can't, I, I, I didn't understand the play when it happened. Clemson was blowing them out. They were in complete control of the game by that point. It was almost like, that's something that you see from a team that's losing or that's poorly coached. And I don't put, and obviously Clemson wasn't losing, and I definitely don't think Clemson is a poorly coached team because between Dabo and Brian Venables, they got two of the best two of the best minds in college football there and two of the best, I believe, um, cultivators of young men that we've had in a long time uh, to come up in the, in the college ranks. So for something like this to happen, it's very un-Clemson-like. And uh, so Dabo, as a punishment, he made Booth ride the bus all the way back to Clemson from Louisville, which is about 450 miles. And he did so, you know, it's the bus. It's not like some random Greyhound he threw him on. This is like the team bus where they have all the equipment, where they have the equipment managers, team managers, all those... um, Part you know guys that work with the team that aren't coaches or players or whoever. So he took the bus home. I hope that's a humbling experience. That's a great job by Dabo of not being like you know I don't know Jeremy Pruitt and grabbing a player on the field and getting in his face, which today is not cool. I mean I never had a coach grab my face mask anyway and hit me, but if that would have happened, I don't know what I would have done. Um, but in today's world, that's not really cool to do something like that. It's a bad optic against your program and against you when things are already falling apart. Um, but Dabo did not do that. He, uh, you know, he gets in players face, but he, yeah, he gives them the, he gives them the business because he's a coach at the end of the day that it, it, you, sometimes you got to give people the business and I agree with it. You know, this is the right way to handle it, it to a degree. God needs to cool off. God needs to learn. Let him sit on the bus with people on the team. It's not like he threw him on a Greyhound. That's the only discipline, though, that uh, Booth is going to get, which I also agree with. I don't think the kid should be suspended from anything. I don't think he should be, uh, you know, benched or whatever. He did what he had to do. He learned, you hope, and it's on to the next. But a great job from Dabo there when you know you look around college football some of the some of the time now and you see guys like I just said Jeremy Pruitt who uh are doing less than admirable things to uh get by <laughs> but that brings me to my last story here and actually I'm going to just uh I'm going to leave this one for after I do the picks of the week because I think it deserves that type of respect I'm going to leave that to the end here so I'll come back. But on to uh on to what was an interesting weekend last weekend. And I need to say Boise State going down. That is uh I mean a BYU strikes again. That's incredible. But at the end of the day, that makes Boise State not the front runner for the group of five position in the New Year's six bowl games. And it makes SMU. SMU the front runner and SMU man they haven't been in the mix for a while now but this has been a complete rebirth of a season behind Shane Bichelle and the rest of that squad that is just playing at an incredible level 
I mean, the way they beat Temple last week, they have the big game against Houston coming up. That would be tonight, Thursday night. That is at 7.30 on ESPN. That's going to be a big one for them. If they can knock through this, they're going to go onto the road and they're going to play a really good Memphis team on the road for really a shot at taking home that American Conference West and playing an American Championship game this year for the first time in the conference history. Uh, So, SMU, who would have thought coming into the year they would be the team we'd all be talking about at a group of five. But again, that's college football for you. And that's what's so beautiful about this game sometimes. Uh, In terms of the college football playoff, though, you've really got to look at what Wisconsin did this weekend. And it's hard to picture them making the college football playoff because losing to Illinois, now you got to go play Ohio State on the road. Even if you were to beat Ohio State on the road, if you got them again in the Big Ten championship game, I would say it's highly unlikely that you're going to win that game. So you're staring down the barrel at a 10-2 and season, 11-2 and season at bare minimum here. So I'm not sure if uh, if this Wisconsin team is going to be around come playoff time, which is uh, a little disappointing because this is an incredible defense and one of the greatest running backs in the history of college football. And I will hold on to the fact that he is the greatest running back, in my opinion, in the history of college football. And um, it's just unfortunate they're going to probably be out of this thing going down the stretch. A couple teams that I don't think are out of it just yet, though. We got Florida, who, I mean, I just got to explain it to you. If Florida is able to go and beat Georgia this week, uh, or not this week, next weekend, that's going to be a humongous win for that Florida program and that team because down the stretch, their schedule is not that difficult, and they should be able to run the table on it. So if they're able to get to that SEC championship game, you know, at 11-1, and hey, they're right in the mix. If they win that game, they're in the college football playoff. 100%, no doubt in my mind. If Florida were to go... 12-1 and one with an SEC championship, they are in the college football playoff. It, on the other hand, if Georgia is able to win that game, maybe they start to feel like they're getting it right. And they'll have a couple more opportunities to prove it to themselves down the stretch. The schedule is difficult for them. But if they are able to run the table, even get into the SEC championship game, they're going to be back right square in the middle of the discussion because they're going to have some big-time wins under their belt, and maybe we see Jake Fromm start to actually prove me wrong and emerge as a the guy that everybody seems to think he is because I don't think he's that guy. I Personally, I do not think he's that guy. I thought he was when I watched him in that national championship game for that first half in 2017 or – I guess it was the 2018 game. But for the 2017 season, that was one of the better halves I've seen from a freshman quarterback in that big of a spot ever before Tua came in and lit it up. And then I kind of went, okay, they're they're at the same level. It's just one of those things. The next year it started to prove to me he wasn't. And this year it's completely proven to me that Jake Fromm is not that guy. And, I mean, this is his time to prove it. Georgia's back's up against the wall. 
The Florida game is huge. They win that, like I said, they're right square in the college football playoff discussion. Another team we got here, we got Minnesota. Now, Minnesota is very interesting in the sense that they could win the Big Ten West and be undefeated heading into the Big Ten championship game. But I really don't know if they will have proven anything at all. Um, It would be similar to Iowa back in, I believe it was the 2016 season, when they were... They were beating people, they were undefeated, but they didn't have that signature win in that season. So, you look around, you question it a little bit, but at the same time, like I said about Oklahoma earlier in the show, their schedule is favorable for them to be able to run the table and get there. And if you can get there, all bets are off. I mean, even if you are playing Ohio State, all bets are off because it's one game and one game for a title. So, we see we will continue to monitor that team, and we'll, we'll monitor the other two in Florida and Georgia. But, out of all the teams that are not in that top six right now, of the AP poll that is, I think the team that really has the shot at going to college football playoff this year, and y'all might call me crazy, but when you're done listening to this, or as soon as I'm done explaining it, Go and check out what I'm saying. But that team is none other than the Big 12's own Baylor Bears. And Matt Rule has got this team playing on a different level. What he has done with that program since taking over after the scandals they had there, the Bryles scandals, it's it's nothing short of incredible what he has done with that program. And, I mean, you look at that team top to bottom. They are as technically sound as you could imagine, and their offense is doing things that I did not think their offense could do. Now, the biggest reason why they are going to be competitive at a bare minimum down the stretch, and probably, in my opinion, I will, you know what, I will say they definitely play in the Big 12 championship game this year. Why? Because they have some cupcake games coming up, uh, you know, they got West Virginia. I believe they have a road game with, I want to say, Kansas State, uh, which isn't the toughest of opponents for them. But they get both Texas and Oklahoma at home to end the year. Uh, so those are going to be two games. If you win both of those games... You're talking about making it into the college football playoff without a doubt. Like, there, there's no questions to be asked at that point. If you go 12-0 and and end up winning the Big 12, no questions to be asked. You are going to the, big, you are going to the dance that year. You're going to the college football playoff. And I think that's something that we need to start considering based on where we are in the season, where Baylor's about to be. I mean, they got West Virginia on a Thursday night next week. That should be a win. At home, they're at 8-0. And if they were to win the next game, they're 9-0 heading into, I believe the first one is against Oklahoma. So you're 9-0 heading into that Oklahoma game. And if you win that, you're 10-0 heading into Texas. 
we're gonna we're gonna start hearing noise about Baylor over the next couple of weeks. I just want to prepare you guys for it, and I'm gonna explain this. Is, this isn't crazy. You're right for thinking Baylor should be in the mix, but on to the next. We got the games that you need to look forward to this week. Not the games of the week, but ones that are gonna be interesting to watch for storyline reasons, for just basically which team is gonna win because they both need it. Um, but First off, we got a storyline game, and that's USC going to Colorado. This is a Friday night game. It is at 9 p.m. It's going to be on ESPN2 uh, since the NBA season started. Now all the college football games on ESPN on Fridays will be kicked to ESPN2. But USC Colorado here is a tough spot for Colorado. They've been having a difficult season, but they are at home, and they're getting a USC team. That is, without a doubt, polarizing. They are, for what, for whatever reason you think they are, they are polarizing. And I think if Clay Helton is to lose this game, it's going to really start to push it. It's going to start to really push that narrative of this guy shouldn't be here. Because you look at their schedule down the stretch, it's not... It's not insanely difficult, but could you see them maybe winning only six games? Yeah, you could. And I think anything under eight games this year is a real disappointment for this team, and a loss here puts them at four and four. So their back's up against the wall. Clayton Clay Helton's back's up against the wall. I just, I don't know. I'm going to be watching this game. And just wondering to myself, is this it for Clay Helton? And if they start winning, I'm going to say, you know what? Go for USC. Go for Clay. Change the channel to watch something else. Because if they start blowing that one out, it'll be it'll be obvious early. Next game, you all got to check out Tulane going to Navy. Now, Tulane has already got one win this year over the Service Academy and Army. That's actually very similar to what Navy does as a team, only Navy is actually a little bit of a better passing program than Army is. However, I think Tulane is just too much of an offensive team this year, and their defense is very good as well. Uh, it's not great, but it is a very good defense. It is good enough for what they have on offense. I think Tulane, if they get this win here, you might start thinking about Tulane possibly pulling an upset or two and getting themselves into the American Conference Championship game. That American Conference is really interesting. And if they lose, guess what? Navy is 5-1 five, is five right now. They'd be 6-1. and one. So they're right in the mix, too. This is a really fun American Conference we have. And uh, I think, you know, if you watch the ACC games, they're really not doing it for you. Switch over. You're watching some of the SEC games and they're blowouts because, you know, the talent level in the SEC is... Really, there is kind of starting to become a real big talent cap in the SEC. Then to throw on the American. It's more competitive. It's fun games. These teams are actually good. They've beaten the rest of the country for the most part. And that's why you got to look at another American game this weekend, and that's UCF at Temple, and that's a 7 o'clock game on ESPN2 Saturday. Oh, and by the way, Tulane Navy, that's a 3.30 start CBS Sports Network on Saturday. But UCF Temple, 7 o'clock, ESPN2 Saturday. That's going to be a good one. UCF had the two tough losses in the beginning of the year. They're back to 5-2. and two. 
They're playing a 5-2 and two Temple team on the road. Temple is a good program coming off a tough loss at SMU uh, to a really good SMU Mustangs team. But you got to look at this as possibly a coming out party for the Temple Owls. And they have to look at it as that as well. Because you're getting UCF, who is quote-unquote the class of the you know, American Conference for so long. It might be about that time that you show them that the American is more than a one-team league, and I think Temple can do that this weekend if they are able to get a win. Obviously, though, UCF is a tough team with a lot of great athletes, and they can turn a game out of this world in a second on you. You also have first game that's going to be in the state of Texas between two Texas teams this week. you got Texas going to TCU. This is a big one in the sense of Texas really cannot lose this game. The way they played against Kansas last week is making me think that team is kind of giving up on the season. Uh, and I'm not going to say that's Sam Ellinger, but that is kind of going to be a knock on, you know, Tom Herman because he's, when he came in, he was a heart and soul kind of guy. And if his team is giving up on him, that's not a good look for a guy whose entire mantra coming in is players and caring about the team and getting the team to care. Uh, so this is a really interesting game for Texas. TCU is a good team. Gary Patterson always puts together a good team there. He's got a good program. And uh, I think TCU is definitely more than capable of pulling this upset. Definitely more so than Kansas was last week. Um, but we'll see what happens. That's a 3.30 start on Fox Saturday. And finally, we got tonight's game that I mentioned a little bit earlier. It's 7.30 on ESPN. Uh, that's SMU going to Houston. And like I said, SMU is in control of their own f- destiny here. If they continue to win out, they will probably be that group of five team in the college football pl- in the college fo- uh, New Year's Six game. Sorry. <laughs> Definitely probably not the college football playoff. <laughs> I would say damn near certainly not in the college football playoff. Uh, but they should be if they go undefeated. However, they won't be. That's a whole different discussion that we're not even going to get into this year. But SMU going to Houston. They get this win. Keep it rolling. Huge game next week against Memphis. And uh, that brings us to the games of the week. And, I mean, what can you say? Isn't the best week of games here. Isn't the best slate. Even the good games I don't see much potential for. But we break them down anyway. (laughs) And first one, we got OK State going to... Number 24, Iowa State. Iowa State's found something here. Uh, Their defense is alive. Their offense is starting to get things done. Even if it takes a quarter or two to get rolling, they're they're hot at that second half point and have been able to blow through teams in the second half. Um, On the other side of the coin, Oklahoma State's not 100%. They're missing some guys. Uh, It's going to be difficult for them, I think, to overcome that. That tough loss to Baylor at home last week. Definitely probably hurt the morale of some of the dudes around there. Uh, you hope Oklahoma State's able to recover from that, the losses that they have. I just don't see it happening. I'm taking Iowa State minus the 10.5 points in this one, and that's actually a 3.30 start on FS1 Saturday. Next game we got number 6, Penn State, going on the road to Michigan State, and that's a 3.30 kick on ABC. This game is very interesting because... The same way that Wisconsin looked forward to Ohio State last week, 
there's a shot that Penn State may look forward to Minnesota, which is maybe crazy to hear. But a road game at an undefeated Minnesota team, you can get a little, you know, you can get a little out of yourself looking at that one. But if they do allow that to happen, Michigan State's the type of team that can come out and make you pay for it because defensively they are incredible. They are one of the best defensive teams in the country year in, year out, and they are once again this year. Uh, Penn State is right there with them, and with that anemic offense for Michigan State, that could prove very detrimental and get this game out of control really early. But, like I said, Michigan State keeps it tight. Michigan State plays a lot of defense. There's not going to be a lot of scoring in this game. I'm going to take Michigan State plus the six points. I might be out of my mind, but that's how I'm going this week. Take that Michigan State plus the six. Next one we got, we got number nine Auburn on the road at number two LSU. And any other week, a top ten game would be one of the more looked upon games of the week. But with LSU being at home, with Auburn being the team they are right now, I just don't see this being that competitive of a game. Um, I think this is going to be a good one for Joe Burrow to go out there and get some yards against a good defense, look good. Um, I think it'll be similar for LSU to the Florida game they played earlier in the season. Uh, However, I don't think Auburn will do as much offensively as Florida did in that game, Uh, missing running backs and having Bo Nix on the center, who is still a freshman at the end of the day. He might have shown us a lot early in the season, but he is still a freshman. He's going to make mistakes. And in Death Valley, that's going to be brutal, especially when Joe Burrow might make this a big uh, big lead early, and you got to play from behind. So I'm going with LSU in this one, minus 10.5. That is a, also a 3.30 kick at CBS. So all of the three games so far have been 3.30 kicks. Uh, we move into the prime time with this game. It's a 7.30 start on ABC. We have number 8, Notre Dame, going on the road to Michigan, who is ranked number 19. And Michigan coming off that loss to Penn State, that was a tough loss. It was a hard-fought game. Got to give the respect to what Michigan did there. They definitely didn't look as pathetic as they did against Wisconsin. I mean, their offense still is not great at all, but that defense is very good. The run game is solid, but Shea Patterson is the difference maker for this team. If he's able to perform well, not even good or great, just well, this team can win. If he doesn't, then he's going to lose. The last eight games of this series, night games, the home team has won each and every one of them. I think that trend continues. I'm taking Michigan money line in this game because I don't know where it will be at by that point on Saturday kick. So give me the Michigan money line on this game. I think they end up pulling the upset on Notre Dame and... Breathing a little life into Jim Harbaugh this year and taking the hot seat a little, making it a little cooler. Final game of the weekend, and this one definitely could have been a lot more exciting. Coming into it, had Wisconsin not lost last week, but we have number 13 Wisconsin going on the road to number 3 Ohio State, which I don't even understand how they are still only number 3 in the country. But that game is a 12 o'clock kick, which is also pathetic. Uh, This should be a night game. But it's on Fox. It's their Big 12 kick, you know, Big Noon or whatever. Saturday's on Fox. I hate this kick time. 
I love this game. This is going to be very interesting to watch because Wisconsin knows they have no room for error anymore. Ohio State hasn't played a defense like Wisconsin's all year. And, I mean, it's hard to say that anybody has because Wisconsin's defense is arguably the number one defense in the country. So uh, it's hard to prepare for that. But when you have your own number one defense on your own side, that's a really good pick-me-up. So while I think the advantage lies with Ohio State in this game overall, I think they 100% get the win. I think this could be a really tight game. I think Wisconsin is going to be very up. I think they're going to play up to the competition. I think they are going to not allow what happened last week to happen again. Um, But I do think that Ohio State wins. But I am going to go with Wisconsin plus the 14 points. That's too much to not take for me in this situation. You know, Vegas does always know something. But I think in this situation, they are very much undervaluing Wisconsin. And not really uh, not really giving them the respect they deserve. And uh, like I said earlier, I have one more news story. So stick with me for a second here. This is an important one. This is a very important one. Um, as we look into a young man who uh, lost his life, and that would be a redshirt freshman over at Georgia Southern, offensive lineman Jordan Wiggins. He uh, passed away on Monday night at the medical facility at Georgia Southern. Uh, We send our thoughts and prayers over to his family. We send them up to him. We send them to that team, to all his friends. To anybody affected by this, Send our love and prayers to y'all because it's a terrible situation. Like I said, he was a redshirt freshman in his redshirt year. So that means he was 18 years old. He passed away, Jordan Wiggins. And you can't say enough. You you hope that it wasn't anything to do with what the team did with him. You know, you hope that the kid was okay. He didn't do anything to himself because they haven't released any uh, information in terms of the cause of death yet. But at the end of the day, there's a young man who passed away, and that's never a good thing. Never a good thing. And I put my, uh, like I said, thoughts and prayers to the Wiggins family, to all his friends, but most importantly with Jordan. And to end this episode, I just want to say rest in peace to Jordan Wiggins. 18 years old, passed away Monday, October 21st, 2019.